It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Michael Bronner. Behind the glass, taking your telephone calls, 251-694-1055 and... Of course, with the NFL draft being nine days away, 3.30, we'll talk to Chad Reuter to give us his opinions about who is going to go one, two, three, four, and five in the NFL draft. And of course, four o'clock, we'll talk to Mike Reese and 4.30, we'll have Chris Gordy on as well. And we love baseball down here in South Alabama, and we'll have some Jaguar baseball tickets available for you when you hear the music. Look at them Jaguars, of course. Give us a call, and you'll qualify for an opportunity to win some Jaguar baseball tickets as well, Michael. And I tell you, you know, last night, of course, we all had the NBA on our mind in regards to what went on with Draymond Green. And was it a chest stomp? Was it a oops, I accidentally tripped over you? Or was it a situation where Draymond intentionally kicked Sabonis in the chest, requiring him to have an x-ray of the sternum? <laughs> that's, which that's the best part of the whole thing. Is story. pretty serious. Uh yeah, well, it definitely wasn't an oopsie by Draymond he definitely didn't didn't not mean to step on Sabonis's chest if you didn't see it which I'm sure you did go check it out uh basically late in the game uh Sabonis and Draymond and it was a close game too it was only like a four-point game at the time Sabonis and Draymond got tied up Sabonis really grabbed the ankle of Draymond and, and, and could have seriously injured him and, and Draymond kind of turned around and stomped him on the chest uh leading to I believe both players picked up a technical foul but if I'm not mistaken it was Draymond's second technical foul of the game automatic and, flagrant and, two which yeah so Draymond was kicked out or it was a flagrant two it wasn't his second technical it was just a flagrant two uh so he was kicked out of the game and yeah, the Kings went on to win the game, grab a grab a two zero series lead. Sabonis on the technical free throws missed both of them. By the way, ball don't lie. Uh, so yeah, the best part there, Sabonis laid on the ground for about fifteen minutes like he was shot, and you know proceeded to finish the game and then get sternum X rays after the game, which by the way, shockingly, were negative, uh, and then needed further evaluation. First of all. Wouldn't have been a flagrant two if it was any other player in the league. I, I think that is Draymond got the flagrant two because he's Draymond Green. His reputation, you're saying his reputation is preceding him. Yes, absolutely. Which, like, whether you think it's fair or not, like, there, I get it. Like, I, I do get why that's a thing. 
you know, the refs are going to go to the monitor, see what happened, and say, oh, like Draymond did this, whereas like pretty much if any other player in the league did that, they might get the benefit of the doubt. Maybe not with that specific incident, but a lot of guys, like you, a lot of guys are getting the benefit of the doubt in a lot of situations, and that's just a a right that Draymond over the years has cost himself. Uh, but that being said, I'm a big fan of Draymond. I mean, he I think he's the glue guy of that team and has been for a long time. I mean, that team doesn't win as many titles as it has without him. And so I, I think the fact that, I, without a doubt last night, his reputation was a big part of the reason why he got a flagrant two. Sabonis overreacted. Sabonis grabbed his ankle. He could have broken his ankle. He, Draymond could have been, uh, uh, heck, at his age, it could have ended Draymond's career. I, I think what's interesting here, Michael, is the fact that Draymond said, hey, look, if Sabonis needs x-rays on his sternum, I, I, I'm requesting x-rays for my ankle because I'm feeling a little <laughs> sore in the ankle. And what's good for the goose has to be good for the gander. I, I think the bigger thing after he gets ejected from the game, now you're looking at the Golden State Warriors yeah, going down two games to none. Which they would have lost, by the way, whether Draymond was on the court or not. But But here's the bigger question. Is it time to implode the Golden State Warriors or will they find a way to come back and win and make this a seven game series? Because when you start looking at Sacramento, I mean, this is a team that that really, I mean, hasn't been to the playoffs since probably 2008, if I'm not mistaken. And over 15 or 16, 17 years, it's, it's ridiculous. But for Draymond Green... When you go back and you look at the footage, do I think that he could have stepped over Sabonis? No, I don't think he could have stepped over him. Do I think that he could have foot stomped him and walked a mud hole in him in that situation? No, I don't think he would have done that because had he put all his weight on Sabonis or intentionally done it, Sabonis would have had a broken sternum. Certainly acted like he had a broken sternum. And I'm not saying it didn't hurt. Because I can't no, recall the last time good. I've been stepped in a in, somebody stepped in my chest, okay? Uh, but at the same time, I think that it, it just went a little bit too far in regards to what are you what are you asking? Or is the league going to go ahead and suspend Draymond? And I think it would be doing a disservice to go ahead and say I'm going to suspend Draymond because Draymond he did make some great points in regards to this had been happening in Game One. And they had been battling in game two. And this is an ongoing feud. It's not just a one isolated incident to where he felt Sabonis was trying to trip him or would not get in his get out of his way. So I just think that as far as what suspension or if any fine will come down to Draymond, yeah, I think when you get ejected, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna come out of the pocket. But does that does that mean you you suspend a superstar because of that? Well, I don't know if Draymond's a superstar anymore, but uh, no, I, I I fully agree that he should not be suspended for this. A fine is whatever you want to find him. Go ahead and find him. I, I don't think he'll really care. Uh, I I certainly won't care. So wh- the comments that you're referring to by Draymond was that on his little uh, his little post game podcast thing that he does. Which you know, I'm not. I'm not a whole big fan of that. But that's <laughs> that's a whole other topic there. Uh, I don't know. I just I didn't think Draymond really did. Like you said, he couldn't have stepped over him. So 
I, what do you want the guy to do? He could have, yeah, he could have stepped, could have probably stepped on him a lot harder. I mean, yeah, him getting up and standing on the rafters and, and uh, antagonizing the Sacramento crowd was a little bit ridiculous. And you did say, you said if this series goes seven games, this series ain't going seven games. I think it's going to go five or six. So, so you, you, you think the Warriors are, are, are done? Yeah, I do. They're and cooked. This is a whole other thing, too. It's like, because what happens after this, like, Clay Thompson's due for another max extension, which is just ridiculous but he's gonna get it and they're gonna let draymond go which as they probably should but uh i think they're there i've seen a conspiracy theory floating around that if you remember the draymond punch of clay thompson from the offseason uh that the warriors were the ones who initially released you know the tmz footage just right so, just so they could justify letting draymond go at the, at the end of the season I, i'm kind of I'm kind of on board with that. I, I think that's probably what happened. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, Clay Thompson is doing another max extension. I think the Warriors are going to lose this series. And then, yeah, I think they're cooked. The West is really good. I love Curry, but, you know, Curry's not winning it, winning you. No one's – there's not a player in the league at this point that's winning you a championship by themselves single-handedly. Well, I, I think you're, you're right in regards to single-handedly because I think that if it was, you know, Kawhi Leonard is probably going to be the biggest – exception to, to single-handedly trying to keep keep the Clippers alive. But, I mean, you do have Westbrook that can give you a triple-double, and that's if he's able to stay on the floor and out of foul trouble. But as and a out whole – the stands, maybe. And stay out of the stands or, or away from the fans. But will, will, is it worth Draymond? What, what lesson has Draymond learned from being suspended – a game in the 2016 NBA Finals. That was ridiculous, by the way. But And by the way, had he not been suspended in the 2016 Finals, LeBron wouldn't have come back and won that series. It's just, you know, that's like getting into an entirely different debate, which I didn't intend to start here. But that is a fact. If Draymond Green wasn't suspended for game six, the Warriors finished that game at six. And, uh, you know. There, there is no three one. There is no Warriors blew a three one lead. There is no LeBron came back on the seventy three and nine Warriors. It just, it doesn't exist. Frank, I, frankly, I, LeBron's not even in the goat discussion at that point. Well, I, I just think that LeBron was going to stay in the goat discussion, but you know, Draymond, I don't know. He just marches to his own drum. Yeah. And, and you know, okay, if that's the way you're going to be, that's who you're going to be, and that's what you're getting. But you you said that Draymond is kind of a has been because you have Steph and Clay that are definitely the cornerstone of what the Warriors organization is. I think and Clay Draymond has been a part of those. He's kind of a has been at this point too. I mean, Clay can 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 still fill it up and shoot it. But the 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 point is that Draymond. You take Draymond away from this team, and the Warriors, to me, they go ahead and they're, they're they're not as good as a team without Draymond Green on the floor. But he has to learn how to control certain emotions. But he was not wrong for his actions. If you want to find him, go ahead and find him. But does it warrant a suspension? To me, absolutely, it does not, Michael Bronner. I just I would hate for the NBA to come in and suspend a former all-star and say, if that's the case, then a lot of the fouls that are called in the NBA, you, you might as well just not even have referees. And let's just go ahead and, and, and call it wrestling because there's a lot of holding, a lot of clutching, a lot of grabbing. It's being allowed by officials 
in this contest. And Draymond Green stomping a hole in Sabonis last night. Oh, excuse me. He, he, he did it on accident. So he said he didn't have anywhere else to put his his feet or his foot. He really went with that, huh? The, I'll, I'll throw a conspiracy theory out to you. I think Sabonis is getting x-rays and further evaluation, yada, 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 in an attempt to get Draymond Green suspended. I mean, that, that that's what I read when, when Woj came out with the report that Sabonis needs x-rays on his sternum. It's like, uh, th- this tweet by Woj is going to get Draymond suspended, making the injury, quote-unquote injury, because he finished the game, sound worse than it is. I think he's trying to get Draymond Green suspended. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I know that he's definitely seasoning that meat for the NBA <laughs> to go ahead and take further actions. But I, I just know that when you're in a situation to have an opportunity to whether you want to step around, step on, because you have to have somewhere to move. And the way Sabonis has been antagonizing Draymond Green I, I could see that, that something was going to happen, and I would rather it be an accidental step on the chest versus a situation to where you have an accidental step on the chest, then punches thrown, and there'll be some type of altercation where you're going to ride for your guys. And, I, I again, I, I'm with the users in the app. I don't blame him because the frustration level is there. But what else do you expect him to do? Where else do you expect him to go besides having to turn around and your ankles or your livelihood? In this, that's what makes you millions of dollars, being able to stand on both feet. Oh, and, yeah. and for Draymond to say it was an accident, I mean, come on. What, 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 are, we, what are we doing here? But how, how can you blame him? You, you can't. He, put, I, he did put a little bit of extra oomph into that. Well, I I think he was just trying to get somewhere, trying to get down the floor. I'm not going to say, again, to me, Bronner, if he would have done it with any forceful intention, (laughs) that man's sternum would have been crushed in. It would have been crushed if he would have done it forcefully. I mean. (laughs) I I think that he let him know that, hey, I'm about to put this size 15. You're going to have a shoe imprint. But as far as me wanting to stomp a mud hole in you, if he would have intentionally stomped him, then that would have been a whole another co- uh, question as to whether, not even whether he would have been ejected. It was just a, a been, okay, how many games are you going to be suspended? We'll have to do some off-air experiments here and uh, do some sternum stomping, see, see, how it, see how it feels and, you know, see varying levels of, uh, of stompage and, and see how it feels. Well, I, I'll tell you this. I'll pass on that one right there. <laughs> uh, but, but anybody who wants to let Michael Brauner go yeah, ahead and, call here. And, 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 and there you I'll go. The, I'll volunteer to do the stomping. And, and so he's going to be the stomper. And what if they grab you by your ankle first, Michael? That's something you got to take a look well, at. That's why I'm lifting my leg up quickly to do the stomping. There's no way. Uh, there, there's no way. There's going to be any situation where I'm going to let my ankle get rolled up on. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm probably going to stomp with some force at that point. Cannot maybe, blame you for that. Maybe put a mud hole in your chest. Well, hey, look, that's what he was about to do and walk it dry. And it just it adds to the excitement of the series. Let Draymond play, find him, and let's let's go on in that series to see if the Golden State Warriors can be eliminated. And of course, coming up, we also. Here on the final drive, we have Will Anderson Jr. that chimed in today and let everyone know what his most painful loss was for the Crimson Tide last week. We also have Alabama's dominance over Auburn 
in this athletic calendar. Well, you you can argue with the statistics if you want to, but here in 2022-23, I think that the Crimson Tide had the upper hand, and we'll go into discussion about that. And glad to see DeMar Hamlin having that return, clean slate, bill of health for the Buffalo Bills. We'll talk about that more coming up here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. War Eagle, this is Butch Thompson, head baseball coach at Auburn University. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And yesterday we we had a little clarity from Bryce Young because he was canceling the rest of his pre-draft team visits, knowing that, hey, I'm probably going to go one or two to the Panthers or the Texans. Well, Carolina's GM, he chimes in today and he says they've made no decision yet on what direction (laughs) they want to go says they have clarity but we're still going through the process what's he he supposed to say yeah we know who we're taking i i I would i mean i I think you take the drama out of it yeah you say we've got our guy no no gm does no gm does that Uh, no no it's like painfully obvious you can say we've got our guy you, you, you don't have to say we, we we have clarity on the matter you can go ahead and say i've got my guy well, we still don't know who your guy is. I feel like teams, like, unless it's, like, supremely obvious, like Andrew Luck going number one, for example, like, unless it's been supremely obvious who the guy is, which, in my opinion, it is supremely obvious that it should be Bryce Young, but throughout the process, it's it's been a question mark as to who it's going to be. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't, there's no benefit to Carolina saying, yeah, we know who we're going to take. I mean, why, like, keep the Texans guessing at two because if, if I mean the Texans if they know Bryce Young's being taken they have no reason to sit in the number two spot they can start negotiating now to trade down instead of waiting until draft night there, there are reasons to keep your cards hidden even if there's no teams ahead of you like Carolina I just think that you know it again it's it's made for TV drama for sure and they don't want you to tell it even though sometimes Back in the day, you knew there was a clear-cut favorite as to who all the overall number one pick is, but it it makes for better drama sometimes when you know who's going to go two, three. If you have this situation for there to be a surprise pick at number one, which, again, Bryce Young going to the Panthers, the Carolina GM says, you know, they need more clarity. They, They not quite sure yet what two quarterbacks, what three quarterbacks, what four quarterbacks. They have four in the process that they're looking at. I'm sure they're still looking. I'm sure that's not a lie. I'm sure they're still watching film on these guys, maybe looking for something in Anthony Richardson that they haven't discovered yet on film that quite simply is not there and they're not going to find. But it's a process, even if you have the number one pick or the number five pick. It's even more of a process when you have – your choice of all of these guys sitting at the number one pick. Heck, you gave up a lot of assets to move up to number one. You might as well be damn sure who you want. Well, I, I agree with you. You better be sure who you want. Because if you don't, you make the wrong decision and you set your franchise back 
another four or five years. So there, there's no question that Bryce Young still is a, 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 the best quarterback available that in regards to getting on the field immediately. Now, if you, if you want to sit and flounder as a franchise, I think Bryce Young will hit the field before any other quarterback drafted, regardless of whether he's one or two or three yeah. off the board. I think he'll hit the NFL field faster than any of his fellow draft mates. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I would expect Bryce Young to be starting week one in uh, in the 2023 NFL season. I think that's just going to be what happens. I, I'm not going to be shocked if C.J. Stroud is starting week one. As for the other two that are the other one that's going to go top five, top ten, Anthony Richardson, he's not going to be starting week one. He might be starting, I think it was Shane Hallam who said, uh, or it might have been Jim Nagy who said, he doesn't think there's as big of a learning curve with Anthony Richardson as some other people might think, and that Anthony Richardson could be playing by the end of his rookie year. But these, he's certainly not a guy that's going to be ready to go by week one, unless you're a believer of the throw him out there and, and learn and get better by playing poorly, which I think there is something too. You know, there's ultimately that th- getting thrown into the fire is the best way to learn, but. Uh, I also think there's a degree of with a guy like Anthony Richardson specifically, you know, development is going to help. Now, I will say this what was interesting today when Will Anderson Jr. was on first take. He was talking about whether he thought he would love to go with Brady or Bryce. The easy answer <laughs> for Will Anderson was that he wanted to go with Bryce because that's his guy. I guarantee once he gets in the league, he's like, yes, Bryce was my guy in college, but here's who I'm rolling with now. You think he's looking forward to sacking Bryce? Without question, he is. No. But, but Michael, I, I will ask this question, the same question that was offered today to Will, and, you know, you being a super-duper diehard. Mm. Out of Alabama's losses this season, oh. which which one hurt the most? Was it – Tennessee or was it LSU? Well, hmm. I was at the LSU game, so so that that, that added a layer of of suckage there. But uh, I would still probably have to say Tennessee, just because of the nature of how great that game was, how great Bryce Young played in that game, and just the fact that you couldn't get a stop, couldn't get honestly, they, and the fact that they handed us the game with the the Dallas Turner fumble recovery and you're up seven with five minutes left and still can't find a way to get it done and Will Riker has a chance to make a game-winning field goal and still can't make it the LSU game when it went to overtime I knew we were going to lose so I, I, I wouldn't I never felt comfortable in the LSU game while when we went up seven against Tennessee I thought the game was over so I, I, I would have to probably say the Tennessee game. But as a fan, you would say the Tennessee game. And as a player on the field trying to make a difference, Will Anderson Jr. Yeah. today shared with Stephen A. that the LSU game, he said that's the one that hurts more than any other game. That ended the season effectively, too. So that that's also a factor. It, it definitely shattered expectations of, of trying to play Georgia. That's for sure. And I could see why he said that that one stung the most. But at the end of the day, you're a defensive guy 
Will Anderson Jr. that is, and you have to have a stop to win the game. Now you can't you can't put it on any one play, but as the defensive alpha dog on that team, he says that that one hurts the most, the LSU game. And I thought that that was pretty interesting that he says that, you know, he felt that the mental errors in that game hurt the most. Didn't pinpoint as to why. Ultimately, couldn't get a stop in either game. But so. that's <laughs> the biggest thing and the biggest disappointment that Nick Saban tied in to his latest press conference, talking about the mental errors and being able to clean up things defensively that don't lead to explosive plays and lead to teams marching down the field. Coming up next, more NFL draft talk. Chad Reuter will join us to give us his draft predictions. Will it be Bryce? Will it be Bryce Will 1-2? Or will it be C.J. Stroud 1, Bryce 2, Will 3? We'll talk to Chad Reuter next. This is Reese Dismukes. You're listening to 105.5 WNSB. Nine days away from the NFL draft. Looking forward to that event. And WNSP will be hosting an NFL draft party at walk-ons. And we will continue to keep you up to date. We'll be giving away an autographed Bryce Young jersey along with a $1,200 Traeger grill. You'll be able to join us on the 27th for our 2023 WNSP NFL Draft Party. Looking forward to that. And talking all things NFL Draft right now with a draft analyst, Chad Reuter, joins us. Chad, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, we just want to take a look here down in Mobile, Alabama. Of course, a lot of people are thinking – especially with the talk that came out yesterday with Bryce Young saying, you know, he's not going to take any more visits and not do any more pre-draft team visits, meaning that he knows that he's going to either go to the Carolina Panthers or the Texans. Where do you feel Bryce Young will wind up on your draft boards? Do you think it could possibly be a one-two punch for Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide having – back-to-back players with Bryce Young and Will Anderson go one-two? I think it's possible, but to be honest, if I'm I'm a team that's interested in a quarterback, and the Texans have to be interested in quarterbacks. I mean, come on, let, let's be realistic here, right? Then waiting until, you know, your next pick doesn't make a lot of sense for me, and certainly trading up from 12 to some to seven to get a quarterback doesn't make much sense to me when you can get the guy at two. Uh, Will Anderson is a fantastic player. I mean, I, I have nothing against him, but I, I, that wouldn't make a lot of sense to me if, if they didn't take the quarterback at two. And, and I've said that I feel you have to grab a franchise quarterback. I really do feel that, you know, the NFL, and it's not going to matter if you can't protect him and he's playing from his backside. And I, I, I've, I will continue to say that. And Jason Campbell, former NFL quarterback, said the same thing. But when you look at the Texans having a new head coach, being a defensive guy in D'Amico Ryans, 
I know that, you know, defense wins championships, but also franchise quarterbacks. Look at the money that Jalen Hurts scores yesterday, and he's a second-round overall draft pick. Yeah, uh, so defense wins championships, except if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, who outscores everybody and has a very average defense. Um, and, and I think, you know, winning can, can happen in many ways. Um, and I think in the end, you know, the 49ers, even with their good def- really good defense that Ryan's was in charge of, they couldn't get over the hump offensively, um, partially because they went through multiple quarterbacks. And, you know, so I think you have to, you have to have the guy behind center that under center, that's really well, when they go under center, <laughs> behind the center anyway, uh, that, that makes those calls on offense and can make the plays on offense and, and then have your defense um, come through when they have to. And, and I think that's the, that's the way you win in the NFL right now. Chad, I, I mean, I agree with you. Of course, the Texans are interested in a quarterback. How could they not be? But if they value the other guys significantly less than Bryce Young, I mean, surely they're not going to take a quarterback at two just to keep one out of Indianapolis's hands, right? Well, right. But I'm saying that a team that is going to take a quarterback, uh, it doesn't make much sense to wait until 12 or, or trade up to get that guy. Um, giving up draft capital, which they certainly need. This is not a team that's one player away from an AFC championship. Uh, if you're going to take a quarterback in the first round, then you might as well take him at two and then utilize that second pick um, and find that defensive player that, look, there's going to be some good players left at 12. Miles Murphy, very good edge rusher. Um, Lucas Van Ness from Iowa, if they like him. Uh, Nolan Smith from Georgia may still be on the board. So there's really some good players that are going to be available at 12. And if you're going to take a quarterback, you just take him at two and and find the defender with with your next pick. How do you weigh that with the fact that there are also probably two studs in next year's class in Caleb Williams and Drake May? Well, you can't guarantee yourself you'll be in position for those guys. And, And half the time when we say a guy is going to be a stud the next year, it doesn't turn out to be as good as we'd hope. So, um, I, you know, I, I don't think you can you can hold off until next year, because by the way, coaches and, and usually a new hire, you know, has more than one year. But if you've been in that job for two years and you're waiting another year to get your guy, um, you know, the owner might say, well, thank you very much, but we're going in another direction. So I, I don't know that you can wait for next year. Well, not only not waiting till next year, I know that the the Texans only winning three games, so it's not like the ceiling is unreachable for D'Amico Ryans. If he's able to get to five wins, he's done an outstanding job in year number one. But if the Panthers decide to go C.J. Stroud, will the Texans go with Bryce Young and let's say the Panthers and the Texans go ahead and take one, two with Stroud and Young or Young and Stroud, no matter what order you want to choose them. Does Will Anderson stay at three with the Cardinals or do they decide to go with a defensive back outside of getting someone who can rush the quarterback? Uh, I think the I think the Cardinals w- would take Anderson. I think Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech is probably in that conversation, but my guess is that it would be Anderson um, going to Arizona at three. 
if you had to pick someone in your draft that you felt like going in when you started your original mock drafts, who has continued to fall, what player would that be on your potential mock draft that was in maybe the top 10 or within the top five and is now totally just dropping like something's really, really wrong? Um, you know, uh, I, I'm looking for somebody that fits that description. And I think the guy that, um, I think the guy that is probably down, down the most, um, I, I think the guy who will get picked the, the latest is Lucas Van Ness from Iowa. I think he is a guy that a lot of teams aren't sure about how he fits in their defensive scheme. Um, and despite the great workout, we've seen similar guys with great workouts like Montez Sweat out of Mississippi State, um, Greg Russo a couple of years ago, that were really good players. But teams, you know, there's something that just wasn't there about him. And, and I think uh, he's going to be an excellent player. I, I think he, he's a guy that has top 10 talent. But I, I just think there's enough question marks from teams about his scheme fit. Um, and, and he's pretty young, and so he's got some growth to have yet. Uh, there might be enough questions about him where he ends up going, you know, in the 20s somewhere, and, you know, three years down the road, I think that'll look like a pretty good pick. Chad, were you shocked when the Bears went ahead and gave away or traded away the number one overall pick? Because the Bears were in a situation to where this is a franchise that's trying to find its way to, or are they just going ahead and being patient and gaining more assets to make a run possibly in a couple of years? Uh, well, I don't think they're thinking about a couple of years because uh, the NFC is pretty wide open. I mean, the, the Eagles, the 49ers haven't been able to get over the hump. The Eagles obviously are a really good team, but other than that, it's pretty open. And certainly the NFC North is, is, becoming open. Um, so I don't think they think they're three years away. I think they're, they want to be there. If not this year, then next year, and they want to build some assets. I mean, I, I think if they wouldn't have traded it, that would have been mismanagement uh, because that's just too valuable as a, a commodity, not, not to trade. And with Justin Fields in place already, uh, I think, I think they had to make that move. So um, the only question to me was who, which which uh, which team were, was going to give them enough um, to, to finally secure that number one pick? To me, it's, it seems like the receiver class, I, I feel like there are a lot of very good, very, very, very good NFL players in it, and a lot of them. I, just, I don't know how many stars there are in the class. Yeah. Uh, so I, how do you grade the class as a whole? Yeah, I think most people would say that. Uh, but, you know, I like to remind people that nobody thought Justin Jefferson was going to be a star when he's picked 20, you know, second, 23rd overall behind Jalen Rager. Uh, so sometimes these guys come out, you know, become stars when you don't expect it. And I think one guy that would do that is Jackson Smith and Jigla. Not the fastest guy on the planet, but at Ohio State, I mean, he kept Jameson Williams off the field and forced him to transfer to Alabama to play. And I think he is going to be an excellent um, receiver at the next level. He, he, he's going to be one of those guys you can rely on, um, and he's going to make plays downfield. Even though he doesn't have plus speed, um, I, I don't. I think he's a guy that's really going to be a difference maker for somebody, even if he doesn't get drafted until the 20th or 21st pick in the first round. One of the positions that 
a lot of NFL players are using are these third down backs. And one of the great running backs that is available is from Texas. And I think that Bijan Robinson is one of those that has intrigued a lot to where is he an every down back or is he just a third down back or is he a guy that's going to make a lot of the other running backs in this class say, look, you know, kudos to you. I see why you have the potential to be one of the first running backs selected in this 2023 draft. Uh, yeah, he's an every down back. He's probably going to be um, a pro bowler. Um, he's going to most likely be a top 10 pick and he's, he's, he's going to be outstanding. I like him more as a, as a prospect than I liked guys like Leonard Fournette and Zeke Elliott. Um, he, he's, he's an outstanding player. He's just got the size and the burst. He can feel his way through traffic, catch the ball out of the backfield. He's going to be an all-around player uh, that, that I expect will go pretty early. Do you have a situation on your mock draft to where we know that Alabama has a tremendous defensive secondary player in Brian Branch? Will Branch have that opportunity to see the first round, or will he slip into the second? That's one of the best questions in the draft this year because he is a first-round player, but when you have a second-round workout, sometimes you end up going early in the second. Um, and then, you know, sometimes, like, look, Landon Collins, uh, Xavier McKinney, some of these guys, really good players, they ended up in the second round, and Branch is potentially in that category. I think that's it's really 50-50 at this point, whether a team takes him uh, in the first, like Jacksonville could take him. The Giants may have um, interest in him, um, other teams as well. And, and I think if he does fall to the second, he's going to be one of the top two or three guys picked in the second because somebody will go up and get him if Pittsburgh or somebody else isn't going to draft him really. Because he's a, he's a great player. Not a super athlete at 190 pounds, but uh, we've seen tons of guys end up in the second round as safeties because they were too small or not fast enough or whatever and just turn out to be excellent players. And I, and I think that'll be the case with Branch. Keon White, the big defensive lineman from Georgia, along with Jalen Carter. I, I, I'm interested to see, will Jalen Carter's stock continue to fall will he find his way out of the top 10 or in your mock drafts does he find a way to survive and just have those continued issues off the field and let his on the field tape play so far find himself into a top 10 situation i think he'll still end up in the top 10 i mean it's very it would be very unusual for the number one guy on most teams boards to fall all the way out of the first round um you know look uh you know, we've had guys with more, you know, more more issues um, fall into the middle part of the first round. But look, the Raiders, the Lions, um, the Bears, one of these teams is probably going to take him in the top ten and uh, hope that he can become the player that you know he he has the potential to be. Well, I tell you, Chad, the senior bowl evaluation period is so critical to a lot of players. That's why they accept their invites. The best of the best having an opportunity to participate right here in Mobile, Alabama, being the home of the senior bowl. Do you see any – what first senior bowl player sticks out to you the most? Well, I'm, I've been actually saying for a while that Osiris Torrance, the guard from Florida, will be the first – 
uh, senior bowl player off the board. And, um, and it could be as early as 11 to Tennessee, um, could be to Washington at 16. So uh, that would be my, my take is he's, he's the top guy. I just think he's such um, a, a powerful blocker with nimble feet. I think it's uh, I think he's got a real chance of being that, that first guy off the, off the board this year. Chad, how can people follow your mock drafts and you being a draft analyst and do an outstanding job, all of your coverage, getting ready to come up here in nine days. Yeah, we're in single digits. It's unbelievable. Uh, you can follow. You can get me at NFL.com. I have a seven-round mock draft coming out Friday. Um, have some articles up there right now on different things. And over the next uh, week, you know, after the draft, I'll have some draft grades up there. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chad underscore R-E-U-T-E-R. Chad, thank you so much for taking time to join us here on WNSP in the final drive. We look forward to seeing your draft grades and talking to you after the NFL draft. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Chad Ruder joining us. And make sure that you tune in for Look at them Jaguars theme song giving away South Alabama baseball tickets today here on the final drive. We're supposed to have some great weather. Let you choose that game in regards to, I think it's a set of tickets that Friday night's game that will go ahead and beat the rain that's supposed to be coming in on Saturday. So an opportunity to check out the Jaguar baseball program. Listen for Look at them Jaguars here on the final drive. If you want to look at them Jaguars, you can do so with the tickets that we're giving away here on the final drive. Give Michael Bronner a call, 251-694-1055. That's 251-694-1055. The South Alabama Jaguars have a weekend series with Georgia State. And Georgia State coming in, taking on the Jaguars here at Stanky Field. And, again, you can give us a call, 251-694-1055, to claim those baseball tickets to see the South Alabama Jaguars play against Georgia State here at Stanky Field on Friday. And great news for DeMar Hamlin. Of course, we all remember number three having cardiac arrest on the field, and he has been fully cleared to return to football activities for the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, when that freak accident occurred, you you were wondering, was he going to live? And now you go from him wondering whether he was going to live or not to hopefully he can continue his dream and his passion that the 25-year-old has now to continue his playing career with Buffalo. And that's something that we all wanted to see. And we're all probably going to be having a deep breath and holding our breath when we see him take that first hit. But there's nothing like getting back out there doing what you love to do, Mike. Yeah, you love to see that headline. Definitely a feel-good story of the day to see the fact that DeMar Hamlin able to resume football activities. Without question, and again, that one took place, his cardiac arrest on January 2nd, and here it is 
four months later, not knowing whether he was going to live or not. But he said the event was life-changing, but it's not the end of his story. That's something we love to hear and would love to see him back on the field. Looking forward to seeing him back on the field for the Buffalo Bills next football season. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, Michael, I know we had a winner of those South Alabama baseball tickets as well. Yes, sir. Donnie, congratulations, man. You're going to look at them Jaguars. Congratulations, Donnie. Be checking out the Jaguars this Friday night. Mike Reese coming up here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And don't forget, 5 to 6, talking football, talking spring football, that is, will be coming up here as well. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you this afternoon. And of course, nine days away from the 2023 NFL Draft. And of course, my co-host Michael Brauner absolute one of the biggest New England Patriots fans that you'll find and you know when you're going to talk to New England Patriots you have to find someone who does it on a daily basis and our next guest Mike Reese makes his debut here on the final drive he is works for ESPN and NFL Nation and he's a reporter covering the New England Patriots. And we would like to welcome you, Mike, to the final drive. And thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk about the Patriots. Well, Corey, Michael, it's great to be on with you. I, I thank you for having me on the Talk Patriots. Well, the biggest topic is, of course, the GOAT, Bill Belichick. And when it comes down to how much longer Will he and the owner, Robert Kraft, continue to bicker with one another? Because the starting quarterback was a little bit a, a subject of contention amongst owner and head coach as little less than three weeks ago. You know, it's interesting using the word bicker because, you know, you, I guess you could say that. I, I guess I would I view it a little differently, and I, I think it's sort of competitive tension. And when I say competitive tension, I think that any owner and head coach aren't going to be um, always seeing things the same way. And it's how you sort of work through that. And are you aligned in what you're trying to do going forward? And I think they are aligned in what they're trying to do going forward, both committed to winning games. So here's what I mean. Robert Kraft, the owner, he wants to see Bill Belichick with 329 career victories, regular season and playoffs, pass Don Shula in the first place on the all-time wins list. Shula's got 347, so he's 18 away from tying. He wants to see Belichick 
Let's see him break that record while he's the Patriots coach. And, and if he does that, that's going to mean that the team's winning games. And so there's that part of it. And then there's Bill Belichick, who realizes that in New England, he's got a very good situation here. He's got two of his sons on his coaching staff. He's getting paid handsomely. And he's got uh, pretty much the power to do almost everything he wants unless it means hiring two coaches on the offensive staff last year that really had never really coached on offense outside of a, a season or two before that. And that's where the owner steps in and says, we got to make a change. And, and I have to tell you guys, I truly believe Bill Belichick was going to make a change whether that came down from the owner or not. In, in talking about the offensive coordinator situation, Mike, pulling out your scout goggles rather than reporter goggles, how do you grade Mac Jones' year two when it was such a mess from a coaching standpoint at, at the offensive coordinator position? You know, I'm going to steal something, guys, that Matt Hasselbeck had said to me. And, and you know Matt, longtime NFL quarterback. He's on the Sunday NFL Countdown show on ESPN. He said you almost have to throw out last year in your evaluation of Mac Jones. Oh, really? And for that matter, I would, I would extend it to every player on the offense and almost say mulligan because what they were doing, they were not set up for success. And that's it. That's what I would say. I, I'd say, you know, there's certain things that, yeah, could Mac have handled himself a little bit better at times with some of his unsportsmanlike conduct penalties that led to fines and some of his on-field emotion? Sure. Young kid, 24 years old, who's perfect? You know, so I think there needs to be some room and space given to that thought. Um, And this is not to spare Mac any accountability, but I think if Bill Belichick's being honest with himself, he would say that that wasn't anyone's best work coaching or playing on offense. Erase it and move forward. The rumor mill has kind of been spinning around Mac Jones the entire offseason. I I never really truly believed and still don't believe that Bill Belichick was actively shopping him, whether you fall somewhere on the middle in that Bill Belichick was upset that, you know, he might have contacted old Alabama coaches. Where where did you fall in that whole thing? I'm always so interested to hear your opinion on on these things. So, So part of it is how Belichick's public tone on Mac has shifted. You know, last year at this time, going into training camp, Bill Belichick had talked about Mac making tremendous strides. And then you fast forward to the end of the season when nothing went well, really, for the offense. And what was Belichick saying about Mac? Well, he's got the skills to play quarterback in this league. I mean, it was like a totally different stance, take, tone as it related to Mac. So clearly, based on that, you can deduce that Belichick wasn't thrilled with Mac's performance, Mac's demeanor. Um, and I, I think there's some things there for Mac to clean up. But I look at it this way. If Bill Belichick says to us, players win games, coaches can only lose games, Did he do his job from a coaching standpoint to put his players in the best chance to have success? And I think he's acknowledged he didn't. So it's a shared 
situation. I truly believe he's going to give Mac a shot to be the player that we saw in 2021 when he had more support around him from both a coaching and a playing standpoint. We're speaking with Mike Reese. He is with ESPN NFL Nation reporter covering the New England Patriots on a daily basis. And when you start looking at the Patriots in the draft, what is their immediate draft need right there at 14? They could go in a lot of different directions, guys. I, but if I had to pick a few positions, cornerback um, would be one of them. Offensive tackle would be another. You know, Mac run for his life at times last year. So get part of the thought building around him, better protection, um, would make life easier for him. Could, could put wide receiver in there. Could put a combination tight end type in there. And really anything, I know I mentioned cornerback, you could pick any position on defense. Last five uh, first-round picks that they've had uh, have been all on offense. So, you know, sometimes those things average out. Maybe it's you could you could make a case on anything on defense for them as well. Well, not only defensively, of course, offensively, you mentioned Mac Jones running for his life at times. Someone who chases quarterbacks for a living as their offseason workout programs continued starting on yesterday. Anthony Jennings, a young player who played at the University of Alabama and, of course, is from Dadeville, Alabama, where that horrific shooting took place, decided to go back and be with his community. I think that just goes to speak on the type of priorities that Anthony Jennings really has for his Dadeville community, putting family and faith in front of football, and there being no really disagreement coming from the New England Patriots and them understanding why Anthony Jennings wanted to return to Dadeville. That's right. You know, Corey, Michael, you guys could probably speak to this better than me. I'm a New England guy. I, I grew up here. I'm not as familiar with that area. But what I read about it is that it's a very tight-knit community, small, everyone knows everyone. When something like this happens in any community, it's it's a tragedy. It's horrible. And then when it happens in a community like that, it, it it's... You, it's so much more profound because of the tight-knit nature of the community. And Anthony Jennings is one of the highest-profile people to come out of that community in recent years, and he wants to be there, I'm told, right now as that community mourns. And I think, to me, it was a reminder that, you know, we cover football, we talk about it, we debate it, um, but this is like life, and it's so much more than a game when we're talking about something like this. Without question. And again, speaking on the New England Patriots and trying to, to have a new slate when this 2023 season does begin, how beneficial is it for Mac Jones to have someone like a Bill O'Brien? Because if any other coordinator was hired, you would have seen the tape on Mac Jones. You would have known he came from Alabama in his resume, but beneficial for both O'Brien because O'Brien took a lot of heat from Alabama fans at the way that Alabama's offense was inept at times. Mac Jones and Bill O'Brien, is that a, a great combination and a great start for both of them together? Well, I 
truly believe it is, and I'm, I'm going to tell you why. You know, I obviously have background covering Bill O'Brien from his first time as Patriots offensive coordinator, and he's that much more experienced from that time coming back. And I think what he values in a quarterback from my experience, this is me talking, making a determination based on listening to Bill O'Brien and watching him over the years. He loves hard worker, competitor, someone who's really sharp between the ears, who lives the game, and who wants hard coaching. And to me, like, go down that list, I put Mac Jones, check, Mac Jones, check, Mac Jones, check. So all those boxes, I think, are getting checked. And now, um, for Mac, the unfortunate part is I think he lost a critical year of development. Usually you go from year one to year two. That's when you, Bill Belichick says you make the biggest jump. For some, fa- for some reasons, out of his own control, Mac lost that year of development, so now he's got to make that back up. And that would be the only thing that I think you know, could derail what looks to be, to me, to be a very promising marriage. Mike, what is it about Bill Belichick and the and he's done a pretty good job, at least I think a much better job over the past couple drafts than some of the previous drafts before that. And the Patriots needed a guard last season, and Cole Strange ends up being, I think, what is going to be a very, very, very good NFL player. It just seems like Belichick finds a way. I swear, I did more draft preparation in finding out about these guys than I had in any other year, and Bill still found a way to to draft a guy I had never heard of in the first round and make me upset about draft night. Admittedly, I was wrong, but what is it about Bill Belichick in the draft and he just keeps you guessing? Well, he's the, the ultimate outlier, and, you know, a lot of, like, I'll give you an example. A lot of teams subscribe to this scouting service, Blesto, which means that they share information. You know, um, Bill Belichick's not a sharer of information. He does not subscribe to scouting service like that. In fact, he feels like that type of group think um, is counterproductive. He wants the Patriots to be convicted in what they do, not be influenced by outside opinion or draft nicks. And that's why sometimes they'll make picks up here in New England that you're saying, wait a minute, this Cole Strange, Tennessee Chattanooga, first round, 29th overall. Why am I flipping through all my draft books and seeing that they have a third round grade on them, you know? Or, you know, Tyquan Thornton, a receiver from Baylor, trading up for him in the second round. But this scouting book I'm reading here says he should be a mid round pick. They sort of operate off their own script. He's the ultimate outlier. Sometimes that works in his favor, other times, Maybe like last year with the offensive coaching, it can blow up in his face. How big is Christian Barmore going to be defensively for the Patriots along with when you lose Dante Hightower? And, of course, Hightower, whether it was with injuries or deciding to sit out due to COVID, when you have someone like Mac Wilson who joins that roster and, again, Christian Barmore, both being from Alabama, knowing that Coach Loves Alabama guys because Saban and Belichick do things almost identically defensively. How how beneficial is Barmore or Mac Wilson going to be to the Patriots this season? Well, so let me tell you a little bit. Christian Barmore, to me, was a little bit of a disappointment last year. Um, he only played 29% 
of the defensive snaps, and part of that was missing um, a stretch of seven games in the middle of the season due to a knee injury. And I really thought they needed him to sort of take that jump from uh, impressive rookie season in which he was up around, I'm going to check it right now, I think it was like 50% of the defensive snaps. So he played about half played about half of what he had played, you know, the year before. Now, part of that's injury. You can't control injury. Yeah, he was at 55.6% of the defensive snaps as a rookie, down to 29% last year. But, guys, there were flashes from him when he was healthy and, and locked in, particularly at the end of the year, where you're like, if he could just do that every game, day in and day out, I could be a superstar. So, to me... Like a little bit of a will the light go on for Christian this year to maximize his potential. So that's my first stunt on Christian. And on Mac Wilson, i got to tell you, they re-signed him last year. Um, he didn't play on defense over the last five or six games. He had been the dime linebacker. They were playing the Buffalo Bills. There was a play where Josh Allen, so tough, um, you know, and Mac was chasing him and sort of pulled up right before he got to the sideline. It was a touchdown, and we didn't see him on defense the rest of the year. So similar situation for Mac, who plays on special teams, has shown he's a contributor there. My thought is can he get back in the good graces of the coaching staff? Whatever was holding him out of the lineup late last year after that game against the Bills, can he sort of reverse that trend and be more of a consistent contributor after playing 20% of the defensive snaps uh, last season. Mike Reese joining us here on the final drive. And, Mike, want to thank you for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule. I know things are beginning to pick up for the Patriots here in the offseason, and you taking time away from your job at joining the NFL Nation, being a reporter on ESPN covering the New England Patriots. We thank you so much for your time here on the final drive. Look forward to talking to you again as the Patriots continue to dive into this offseason and see what unfolds in the NFL draft as well. Well, I really enjoyed it. Uh, thanks, Corey. Thanks, Michael. Always great talking Patriots and Alabama football with you guys. Thanks, Likewise. Mike. Thank you so much. Mike Reese joining us here on the final drive. And on the other side of the break, we'll be right back to talk more about Alabama's dominance over Auburn this athletic calendar year. Michael Brauner did a little digging into what events Alabama was successful in versus Auburn this year. We'll talk about that next year on the final drive. Hey, this is Showtime boxing analyst Steve Farhood, and you're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 WNSD. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. At 4.30, we have Chris Gordy coming up and of course from five to six we have talking spring football with scott hunter and tracy turner right here on wnsp 105.5 but michael as we are getting ready to conclude the 2022-2023 season or calendar year whether it's football basketball or basically going from fall sports all the way to spring sports and really baseball being that final spring sport. 
Alabama's dominance over Auburn is it is it just a one year wonder? Because <laughs> I know that when you were digging a little bit deeper into it, you did see that Alabama pretty much ruled the roost this year versus their biggest opponent. Well, it's been a rough go of it for the Barners in 2022-23 against Alabama for sure. Uh, you know, like like we said to Blackerby yesterday, uh, Auburn owns in the ponies and, and, and always will probably. A great equestrian program for for the Auburn Tigers, but pretty much everything else has gone uh, has gone Big Brother's way this year at 49-27 and the real Iron Bowl in football sweeping both men's and women's basketball. Alabama baseball grabs a series win over Auburn this past weekend in a series that Lindsey Crosby said that Auburn really needed more so than Alabama. Alabama takes down SUNY Lee and Auburn in gymnastics, beats them in tennis, beats them in soccer in what was admittedly a historic season for Alabama soccer. Seven and one in the last calendar year. In terms of all these Iron Bowl matchups, I, I don't know. Self-proclaimed everything school Auburn. Yikes. They're uh they're 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 not doing a great job within their own state. But see, normally you do see some type of balance in there to where the women's basketball, Auburn will take one and or there'll Usually, be a split yeah. in men's basketball. It, or if you do sweep men's basketball, there'll be that one and one in women's basketball, or vice versa. You very Something. rarely see the type of dominance. Auburn was supposed to win this baseball series this past weekend. I mean, they won game one, found a way to lose games two and three. And, and that's, What's going on? I, I, I find that very interesting that when you start looking at overall equestrian uh, being the sport that Auburn was able to defeat Alabama in head-to-head, -head, but you, you love those matchups. That Those are the matchups that you live for if you're an Alabama or an Auburn fan to to sit there and, you know, they have the the Commissioner's Cup in the Sunbelt Conference. I, I think that when you do have that type of robbery, I know that I do love the fact that the winner of the Iron Bowl, the participants of the Student Government Association have to sing the other school's fight song. <laughs> I love that type of tradition, yeah. but I'm surprised that they don't take it another level within the the state's rivalry, the state's biggest rivalry in Alabama and Auburn to to have some type of all sports cup to where you know you you get the presidents involved of the universities to where you truly make it a little bit bigger in regards to an all-sports event because I know they they have the voting of the Capital One who has the best program across the country who wins the most athletic events, and normally Stanford's right up at the top of that list. But Alabama and Auburn and the dominance this year of Alabama, I do find that interesting. But it can, it can flip the same way next year. Yeah, I mean, as, as I hear a lot of dials turning across the 251 I, like again i am admittedly just uh you know poking a little bit of fun here uh th so this all being said re re relax auburn fans I, I i do think auburn will be better than alabama in basketball although basketball wise alabama is about to get 
multiple transfers. We'll uh, we'll talk about that probably tomorrow. Uh, keep an eye out for Aaron Estrada out of Hofstra, as well as uh, B.J. Mack out of Wofford. Alabama's starting to turn things around basketball-wise. But, no, I, I do think the tide, no pun intended, is going to turn in basketball. I do think Auburn's going to have a great chance to win the Iron Bowl in football this year. So, I again, you know, I'm just poking fun, but the numbers are the numbers. Well, let me ask you this, Bronner. What, what makes you feel or what gives you that gut feeling that Auburn has an opportunity to win this year's Iron Bowl because in football I, you're saying uh, yes in in football going is it the fact that well, the game's in Auburn that's at that Voodoo Magic Stadium and Bryce Young's not the quarterback anymore how how could you I mean how realistically right now in April how could you be super 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 confident as an Alabama fan about the Iron Bowl I I know I'm not I mean we'll see what happens we'll see if Jalen Milrow slash Ty Simpson ends up being really good but even if Alabama's really good. I don't know. I'm not I'm not super confident in winning the Iron Bowl. I, I think Auburn's going to be a heck of a lot better. Auburn, in year one, if you freeze, should be a lot better than they were in year one of Brian Harson. They should have won the Iron Bowl in year one with Brian Harson. The only reason they didn't because Bryce Young is Bryce Young. And Tank Bigsby couldn't stay in bounds. Yeah, that, that, that did cost Auburn one of the biggest mistakes that Auburn did make the last time that Alabama visited Jordan-Hare Stadium. But if you were to ask me at this point in time, I would say Alabama definitely has to be a favorite. And I know well, they're going to be favored I, and they should win. But that's, you know, again, this is voodoo magic. Jordan-Hare we're talking. Sorry, Jordan-Hare we're talking about. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say Auburn will win the Iron Bowl, but I'd also be lying to you if I said I wasn't a little bit nervous about it. But when's the last time that you you can recall, and even you being on the campus of the University of Alabama, the 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 type of dominance that you did see in men and women's basketball, hasn't, hasn't football, happened. and gymnastics. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because normally happened. Auburn, you know, sticks it to Alabama in, in, in something in, in one of those sports. Whether it's gymnastics, whether you do have an opportunity to sit here and say, okay, in in baseball, because Auburn coming in is favored, but I, I just think that when you start looking at it from a rivalry standpoint, I, I love it when you do have even rivalries and it's not tilted because that's what makes a rivalry. Now, if you're a fan, again, I want to lose, but you know, get, you know, one, one for up. the thumb, <laughs> one for the thumb was hard for a lot of Alabama fans to talk about and to realize because that's what Turboville was able to do to the Crimson Tide. And that mm. that's dominance. You know, anytime you can sit there and say, I'm bragging about one for the thumb six consecutive times, you whoop me. That's an entire recruiting class that comes in from a freshman all the way until they graduate. That That's tough in that situation. But, again, I, I think that overall I love the healthy rivalry of Alabama and Auburn. Just a little bit surprised when you brought up those numbers in regards to Alabama definitely having that 7-1 to one edge and equestrian being the only sport that Auburn has had an opportunity to take now again like you said Alabama takes two out of three from the Auburn Tigers this weekend in baseball but again that's a series win for the baseball program when you start looking at big picture big of things absolutely coming up next 430 Chris Gordy will join us here on the final drive Corey Labonte and Michael Brauner here on WNSP 105.5
Hey, this is David Morse of QB Country. When I'm in my car, I always have it tuned in to 105.5 WNSP, the sports station. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Bronner, joining you this Tuesday afternoon. And we love to have Chris Gordy locked in here on the final drive. And, of course, Chris Gordy does an outstanding job being locked in on the SEC and being a locked-on SEC host. Chris, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us here on the final drive. Yeah, good to be on with you guys. I uh, I have an admission. I, I have a problem that I have to admit to. I watched all seven SEC spring games on Saturday and took notes on them all. So I to address. Well, look, there's nothing wrong with doubling down and having an opportunity <laughs> to see all the great plethora Excellent. of football that's going on here in the spring. And I, I tell you, as you were able to check in, on those SEC games, which team's story here in the spring really intrigued you the most? Well, the Ole Miss one is the most intriguing because they have a real true quarterback battle on their hands. And after Saturday, I don't know if this thing figured itself out at all. You know, I had a friend telling me that, you know, Jackson Dart, he still believes has the upper hand, but man, did Spencer Sanders look good. The Oklahoma State transfer who just came in and uh, you know, not only threw the ball well, but shut off his running ability. I want to say ran for about 72 rushing yards. So, uh, and then Walker Howard, the transfer from LSU, looked really good too. So, Ole Miss. I mean, it's a good problem to have. All three quarterbacks look good, but I don't know what you do with them. I mean, is one going to you know sit behind the other? Is Spencer Sanders fine being a a starter all those years at Oklahoma State and just sticking around and backing up Jackson Dart? And the same thing with Dart, the guy who came from over over from USC and played really well this past year at Ole Miss, you know, is he okay sitting behind Spencer Sanders? So uh, that one is fascinating. Georgia is just absolutely off the chains, ridiculously talented. Mm. Uh, Carson Beck, look, look, Kirby can tell us it's a, it's a quarterback battle and, and all this, but Carson Beck just, to me, rose to the occasion. He led Georgia to three straight touchdown uh, drives when he was in there. He was the only quarterback not to throw an interception. I just think, like it, the sky's the limit for Georgia. They got talent everywhere. Brock Bowers is back, Black McConkey, and they got all these stud four and five star freshmen coming in. Like I just, I looked at Georgia and went, man, I don't see. The, and you look at their schedule. Like I, I don't think they're going to lose a game. And it's crazy to say, but a three peak could be coming for Athens. Oh boy, well, well, we'll get to that in a second, Craig. I, I got to ask you this one. I, I assume that Texas found its way into the SEC rotation. And you know why I'm asking you this. Like Nico Iamlieva is better than Arch Manning, right? Let's react to the spring game. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't take a lot away from it. I mean, Tennessee was the hardest one to watch because they had so many regulars out. I mean, they didn't have either of their starting running backs. They didn't have any of their, basically any of their starting receivers. They had O-linemen out, tight ends out. I mean, Tennessee, it was a shell of what they're going to look like. Now, they did play their quarterbacks. Joe Milton played, and, uh, you know, the five-star freshman quarterback, Nico Yamaliava, you know, he played well. Um, you know, it got going with Ethan Davis, their freshman tight end. But, I, I mean, I, it, just my overall takeaway from Nico is he's just not ready for prime time yet. So this is going to be Joe Milton's show at Tennessee. But I did watch a little bit of Texas' this spring game. You know, Arch made a couple good throws, but I like that Sark was very quick to say, look, Quinn Ewers is our starter, and, uh, 
and that's that. The, the Manning said all along during his recruitment that he wanted to he wanted to sit, or, or they wanted him to sit his freshman year. So no surprise there. But you're right. I mean, the, the Texas is coming to the SEC in 2024, so I'm sure Arch will play in his four games this year, take his red shirt and all that. But yeah, I think the next time we see Arch in in real. Uh, good competitive action, or at least as a starting quarterback, it's going to be when Texas is, is an SEC team. Well, I think that the transfer portal opening here on the 15th has opened a lot of eyes and ears to where rosters may not look the same as they did when spring games were played going into the summer and the fall. I know Auburn is looking for a transfer quarterback to possibly come in and take the starting snaps, but there's one that may already be exiting Auburn from a quarterback standpoint, hitting the portal also. Yeah, so I have uh, on a locked on SEC today. I had my interview with uh, TJ Finley, who uh, of course is, is an Auburn quarterback and, uh, Really good insight with TJ. I would encourage all your listeners, if you haven't heard it yet, to go check it out at Locked on SEC, uh, wherever you get your podcast. TJ Finley, uh, you know, kind of opened up and talked about how the spring went and all this, but he did bring up that he is graduating in June, that he's getting his coursework done, and, um, you know, once June hits, that he very well could be a graduate transfer and head elsewhere if, you know, it doesn't look like he's going to be starting at Auburn. So, um, you know, he did say he's a competitor. He's going to stick this out and, and, and continue to battle, and uh, and we'll see where it goes. But yeah, I just I imagine if Auburn is bringing in another guy through the portal, which it sounds like they will, with that guy and Robbie Ashford, it just doesn't look like there's a spot for T.J. Finley, and I would expect him to hit the portal then. Well. Well, let's talk about the defending, the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs. Of course, you know you have Stetson Bennett, who has a historical national championship game and you know makes bad decisions after the fact after he leaves Athens from the roster will the Georgia Bulldogs be able to to leave right where they left off and really have an opportunity to get great production from the quarterback position yeah well that's what I was saying a few minutes ago I mean Carson Beck to me was just he he looked so good on Saturday again I know it's a spring game but you know, when, when he's going up against that Georgia defense, that's as good as anybody you're going to face uh, for, for a practice. So the fact he was the only guy out of Gunnar Stockton and Brock Vandegrift who didn't turn the ball over, um, yeah, I think Carson Beck is – the sky's the limit for him. And I'd even go so far to say is he's more talented than Stetson Bennett. Oof. Now, it doesn't mean he's better. That doesn't mean he's going to be a better quarterback. But he's got the talent. He's got the arm. And, you know, dare I say, I mean, as good as Stetson was last year – could Carson Beck put up better numbers than Stetson this year? Yeah, absolutely. And if that happens, it means Georgia's probably undefeated, and it probably means Carson Beck's getting an invite to the high school. Did the needle even move in the spring game for Missouri and or Vanderbilt plus Florida? I mean, this is year number two for Coach Napier and the Florida Gators, and there just wasn't a lot of umph going into or a lot of hype going into those three spring games. Yeah, so Missouri's was a little different. They did theirs back in March, and they had really bad weather, so they had to move it indoors. And so it, it was kind of a, you know, it was more of like a smaller, intimate scrimmage almost. So we didn't take much away from that. Uh, Brady Cook, there, you know, who was going to be their starting quarterback, he was out uh, having, you know, with an injury. So, uh, so not much with that. Vandy, you know, was was a week ago, and um, I will say this: Vandy looked much improved. Like. 
you know, you could see these three-star recruits that, that Clark Lee's bringing in now. Vanderbilt has more talent on the roster than they used to. Now, I don't know how many wins that's going to equal, but I think there's a chance Vandy could get to six and six and, and bowl eligible. But Florida, to me, last Thursday night in their bowl game, I was so impressed with their defense. Austin Armstrong, uh, I think, has already had an effect and, and had that defense flying around. Now, you can just say Florida's quarterback play was not very good, and it wasn't. Graham Mertz, the transfer from Wisconsin, wasn't all that great. Jack Miller, their backup, doesn't look all that good either. But uh, love Florida's run game. I think they're going to have one of the best run games in the SEC when you talk about uh, Travis Etienne and, and his, uh, his counterpart, Montreal Johnson. But, man, I was just really impressed with, with Florida up front defensively. I think they're going to be much improved. That was a spot where they were really, really bad last year. So I think Florida defensively is going to be much better. Chris, don't you know you're supposed to come on here and, and quell my fears about about Georgia potentially getting even better? Not 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 stoke the fire and tell me they're going to upgrade at the quarterback position. Like what are what are we doing here? Go look at their schedule, man. They, I they know. open with uh, Tennessee Martin and Ball State. Like it, it, it's a <laughs> joke. Their schedule this year. It's pathetic. Their toughest game. Their toughest game is late in the year. They go to Tennessee, yep. and I don't know. Like, I think Tennessee's going to be good. I think Heifel's going to have these guys better again. But, like, are they ready to knock off Georgia? I just – I don't see it, man. It's, it's ridiculous. They lose all these guys to the to the draft, and it doesn't even seem to matter. They've got four or five stars sitting behind those guys, and it reminds me of what Saban's had at Bama for the last decade. It's, it's next man up, and there's no transition period. It's just – all right, those guys left. Next guy step up, and we're looking to win a title again. It's just—it's crazy what he's built there. Well, talking about that schedule, I asked Brooks Austin this, who's a Georgia film guy, last week, and it was interesting to hear his response. He wasn't too uh, concerned about it, but that schedule, yes, I agree with you. Georgia is going 12-0, and and they're going to the SEC championship. But how do you weigh the fact that the first actual quality opponent, if things go well for Alabama, you know, they're going to play Alabama in the SEC championship and haven't really played, I don't know how Tennessee is going to be, but haven't really played anyone great the entire season, and uh, I don't know, does that concern you at all, that they don't really get tested before going to Atlanta? Well, first, let's not pencil in Alabama in the West. No. Unless you won it last <laughs> year, they bring back a lot again, so that and and that's to your point. Like, let's just say LSU happens to beat them and they get to Atlanta again. I mean, Georgia could stomp all over LSU again, like <laughs> they just did this past SEC championship game. And the road gets a little bit easier. But I, I think you make a good point. It reminds me of that Bama team a couple of years ago that got smoked in the championship yep. game against uh, Clemson. Yep. That 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 season they had played such a weak schedule and, and they couldn't do anything about it. Right? I mean, the teams on their schedule just stunk. Like, it very well could be that situation where Georgia goes through the season undefeated, faces a tough team in the playoff, and gets bounced, and we look back and go, well, they weren't really tested all year. Chris Gordy joining us this afternoon on Locked On, from Locked On SEC, an outstanding host there on Locked On SEC. And, Chris, as we continue to get ready for Alabama's spring game this Saturday, I know that all of the talk is and all eyes are definitely going to be on the quarterback position. Every throw is going to be analyzed. Every single decision made by Alabama's new offensive and defensive coordinator is going to be talked about, but none more so than that quarterback battle. Yeah, and it's crazy, guys, because I'm thinking throughout the years, uh, from Jalen Hurts to Tua to Mac Jones to Bryce Young, I mean, 
we've kind of known, right? We've kind of known going in every year who Alabama's quarterback was going to be. And now here we are. It is literally up in the air. And I know some people have jumped out and said they think Ty Simpson is in the driver's seat. Uh, Jalen Milrow showed some things last year. I mean, I, I think with better coaching and, and a guy like Tommy Reese, who, um, you know, is a, is a player's coach, a guy who's closer to these guys' age that they can relate to a lot more, he's going to get the best out of these guys. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I hate to say it because spring games are so irrelevant, the grand scheme of things. And, you know, there's not a whole – like, I can't tell you how many times we get into the fall we look back and go, yeah, remember that guy said on the spring game? Yeah, he didn't even play this year. Like, it, it happens all the time, but – Man, I, it does feel like we're going to overanalyze every throw that's made, and maybe it's what Saban wants. Maybe he wants to put a little pressure on Milrow and Simpson this Saturday and say, hey, you better show up and show up because everybody's watching. I absolutely love it. Chris, how can people follow all of your outstanding coverage of everything that you have, like you said, locked into seven games this past Saturday and going back and reviewing them, checking out the entire SEC? How can people follow your coverage of everything SEC? Yeah, I wouldn't brag about it too much. My wife was like, you're a loser watching seven-string games. But uh, nonetheless, Locked on SEC, wherever you get your podcast, check out that interview with T.J. Finley. Really, really good stuff with him. Again, a good kid that I'm rooting for, and whether the road ends with him at Auburn or at a different school, we'll see. But uh, good stuff. Locked on SEC, wherever you get your podcast. Chris, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. All right, thanks, guys. Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC host, joining us this afternoon here on the final drive. And we'll put the finishing touches on the final drive before we have Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner in the building for Talking Spring Football. Again, we love your telephone calls on Talking Spring Football. 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with Tracy and Scott during Talking Spring Football. The final drive wrapping up next here on WNSP 105.5. Hello, this is artist Daniel A. Moore. You are listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 and again tonight the Hawks and the Celtics on NBA television, the Knicks in Cleveland, and you have the Clippers in Phoenix in primetime on TNT, and we'll see if Nick Wiggins' Hawks can continue to find a way to battle back and tie this series up with the Celtics. And again, Draymond Green and his Golden State Warriors are down two games to none, but Draymond Green... The controversy has been stomping on Sabonis' chest. Was it intentional or not intentional? I personally don't think it was intentional. You just go ahead and you find him and you move on in regards to that situation, Bronner. But an x-ray of the sternum for Sabonis came back negative. Green, he requested an x-ray on his ankle. He just says it's sore. Nothing torn or going wrong there. But find Draymond. Shocking and move on in regards to that. Great news for DeMar Hamlin returning to the Buffalo Bills fully cleared to resume football activities. And if he wishes to continue his pro football career, I would go ahead and go ahead and root for him 
and continued success is moving forward. Hopefully he's able, after he makes that first hit and gets back into the groove and swing of things, he may feel that football never left him, but that's how he wants to provide for his family. So wish the best to DeMar Hanlon. And again, Will Anderson Jr. mentioning today on first take that the LSU lost. That hurt him the most out of the two Alabama losses. What about you? I, I would have to go more so with LSU as well because you yeah. beat LSU and you still have an opportunity to go ahead and play the Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC championship and knock off the king, the current king of college football, they Kirby Smart. They would have stomped us. And that would have stunk. I, I still would have. I've loved the opportunity to see Georgia and Alabama. Would never get old. That's why I loved when Georgia had to come to Tuscaloosa and play a couple of years ago. That's that regular season matchup. Didn't have a problem seeing it in the SEC championship either. And when you start talking again about the superstars that were injured in the NBA, we know that. Giannis will be a game time decision. It's good tomorrow. to hear game time. I thought it was going to be worse. Like he's out for the series for sure. John ja Morant, they're calling it aggravated tissue mm. in his wrist. He will be a game time decision also, as well. Also good to hear though. But knowing that he's not Tyler Hero and yeah. the Heat have to make the finals if you want to see Hero play again this season. So a lot going on in the world, and of course. We'll talk more about the Alabama Crimson Tide and what Nick Saban has to say about their next practice as well as their A-Day game upcoming. We'll cover that more on the final drive tomorrow. But coming up next, talking spring football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner here on WNSP 105.5. is talking spring football on the sports station 105.5 fm and wnsp.com stay tuned as we take you to the practice fields in auburn and tuscaloosa as players begin their campaigns to be on the field and not on the bench this fall brought to you by bayou fasteners and jordan automotive call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the wnsp app Talking spring football here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, when you're talking spring football, Auburn has concluded their spring football season and all of their practices. But the transfer portal and recruiting is never done when you start talking about the Auburn Tigers and Alabama Crimson Tide and Tracy. Always love to see you, my brother. I know tonight is a big-time night, not only for the state of Alabama football, but it's in regards to high school football. Yeah, Corey, it is uh, 
Sarah Land Spartans, the 6A high school football champions, and they will get their rings tonight. Nothing wrong with that. Well-deserved and earned by Coach Jeff Kelly and the Sarah Land Spartan crew. And Scott Hunter will be joining us by phone. He's calling in. He, he is calling in. And, of course, Scott Hunter has had an opportunity to go watch the Tide. To see him in person a week in advance. And, Scott, good afternoon. And always great to talk in spring football with you. Oh, good afternoon, guys. Spring football. We got, what, one more after this one. And we'll then get on to talking football in the fall. Well, Scott, I'm going to have to come out of the shoot and ask you, you know, when you had an opportunity with the 8A club and 8A members to see the quarterback battle that the nation's going to get an opportunity to see at 2 o'clock on ESPN Plus this Saturday, what were your initial thoughts and feelings with what you saw ground level? Well, uh, there's a term for that called T, what? TBD <laughs> to be determined. <laughs> there is just no, there is no clear quarterback right now, and that's not a bad thing. Um, spring training is what this is for for quarterbacks and everybody to get reps and start getting used to what needs to be done, how you do it, uh, the throws the reads and so forth and so on. And both quarterbacks had their good moments uh, Saturday. And I'm talking about Ty Simpson, of course, uh, and the other uh, quarterback. Both of, them, both of them had their good moments. Both of them, you know, had their not-so-good moments. I think Coach Saban said to the media they had some good plays and they had some plays they'd like to have back. Uh, but that, that uh, as I, I told a couple of the A-club people that were there, watching the practice and up in the North End Zone Club afterwards when Coach Saban talked to us, unlike the, your right guard or, or your safety, who you know after spring training, you know they're going to be your fall starters. Quarterback is a different position altogether. If you don't have a, a, you know, a situation like last year, you know, where you've got Bryce Young coming back and so forth, and it's a given, but if you have a situation like this year, where there's no, there's nobody has really won the job, and they don't win it in practice. They win it in a game, and they win it by playing well in the game, and then they keep the job by continuing to play well. And that's the way I won the job, and I think that's the way every quarterback at Alabama I've ever been around uh, before I left for the NFL for 10 or so years uh, has done. Uh, they won the job in a game. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, their playing time was dependent on them playing well in the game. So I think what we'll look at, you know, Alabama has a, a cupcake opener, so I think either or both quarterbacks likely will look, you know, okay in that. But I think where it'll come down to is maybe the Texas game where it's going to be expected to be a good game, a close game, and so forth. And one of the two quarterbacks will probably uh, – Make, you know, he may just win the job that day. Well, Scott and Tracy, we do have a caller on Jerry in Fairhope joins us this afternoon on Talking Spring Football. Welcome, Jerry. How are you? 
Good, I'm fine. How are you guys doing? Absolutely blessed by the best, sir. Okay, Scott, I got a question for you. How come they can't settle on Go a ahead, quarterback Jared. during the spring training? Well, uh, you know, as we just spoke about, uh, as you're probably on the line calling, um, spring training is a time for a quarterback, a young quarterback that hadn't played yet, uh, to learn a lot about the team, the coaches to learn a lot about him. Uh, Saturday, Coach Saban and, of course, the offensive coordinator put both quarterbacks, all four quarterbacks, uh, in situations, out on the field, going in, coming out, third and long, and so forth. And to get a look at all four of them, and that's how you determine as time goes on, you know, which one seems to play better in those situations. But again, going back to what we just spoke about, it yeah. really doesn't count until you put him out there in front of 100,000 people in Bryant-Denny Stadium, and he can get the ball down the field and over the goal line. And that's what really counts, and that's that that'll be the one who wins the job is the one that does that. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm just thinking if, if he's, if he's in practice, spring practice and he's playing against his defense, uh, you know, let's say Alabama's defense. I mean, that, that should be a pretty, uh, pretty strong test, uh, you know, just from a f uh, fan's perspective. Yeah. I mean, you, you brought up a good and, point, you know, you, the, the opposition that, that Milrow and, and Tyre are throwing against, um, the opposition is going to be far better than the opposition in the first game. And I can't believe I, it's such a cupcake. I don't even know who the first game is. Uh, will somebody look it up and tell me? It's Middle but, Tennessee State. Uh, you know, <laughs> what's that? Middle Tennessee State. And do they have a yeah. new coach? So, didn't their old yeah. coach? The Red Raiders. They. They. Uh, that's a great Blue question. Raider. Blue oh, Raiders. Oh, excuse, excuse me. Excuse me. The Blue Raiders. The wrong color. Yes. <laughs> the Blue Raiders. You know they've had uh, Coach Stockstill. I think has been there for like fifteen years. But I thought that uh, he retired. But I could be wrong. But going back well, to what Jerry's question, it, it likely, as I said earlier. Uh, Either quarterback can quarterback a, a win over Middle Tennessee State the first game. Uh, but when it comes to the second game, Texas in, in Tuscaloosa, judging by what I saw uh, in the Texas game last year, and, I, and Mike Tindall and I went out to Austin and, and to see the game, and judging by the Texas team that was very competitive and probably, you know, had a good chance to win the game, so I think it'll be the same thing in Tuscaloosa. And so, therefore, I think uh, in that game, a quarterback is going to have to step up and really deliver for Alabama to have a chance to win that game. And, of course, whoever does that will be the starting quarterback from probably there on out. Jerry, thank you so much for calling here on Talking Spring Football. And, Tracy, when, when you start – Again, we know what the expectations are going to be with Alabama and where the eyeballs are really going to be focused. But isn't it interesting that both our rivalries, Alabama-Auburn, have 
quarterback, not necessarily issues, but are really the focus of both programs. Because I can't recall when you had both programs coming in to the spring and going into fall where that's where all of the focus really was. Well, it's because the position has become so important. And, you know, a lot of people could turn around and hand the ball off in in Coach Saban's maybe management when in, in the days when he was looking for just a managing quarterback. But in this day and time, managing quarterbacks, unless you're just – unless we're talking about you're outclassed them like Alabama should, as Scott said, Middle Tennessee State, are not going to score the 30s and 40s that you're going to have to score to beat Georgia. You know, that normally you got to score – I guess last year Alabama got out of the A&M game 24-20. You, you know, that was sort of low because they didn't get out of the LSU game at 31. Right. You know, so as Scott and we talked about, it's really sort of a different uh, element now, and it requires a quarterback that can execute the passing game, and that's not – Gus Malzahn's passing game where you know who you're supposed to throw the ball to because it's been set up. But it's the modern-day passing game where you have to have pre-reads of what's going on at the line of scrimmage and have option routes with your wide receivers, et cetera, and it's more complicated. And uh, I told this story, Corey, I'll quickly get to it. Joe Witt, I was talking to him. He obviously had been a coach of mine. Most everybody down here remembers Coach Witt. I was asking him about it. I said, Coach, what, what does it matter? If you can do it in practice, you can do it in the game. And we were standing there, and there was a one-by-12, which is like what's called boards that offensive linemen used to do. I thought it was great when I got to Auburn, and the boards didn't have edges. They were nice and rounded, <laughs> so you didn't tear your knee when you fell on them, you know, for getting your feet up on top of them. But he said, well, Tracy, let me ask you, can you walk that one-by-12 right there? I said, yeah, of course, Coach. I can walk that. He said, what about if I lift it up 30 feet in the air? I said, wait a minute. He said, it's the same. Same one by 12. And that's what Scott's saying out there on the practice field when you're reading the defenses and you're throwing in 707 doing all this. It's a one by 12. But when you get to Bryant Denny, that one by 12 is lifted 30 feet up in there <laughs> and it ain't the same one by 12. Okay. So that's why Scott keeps saying about you win it in the game. Uh, I'm trying to remember who was the Alabama quarterback that won the admiration of the team and how he took them down and scored. It was five or six years ago, but, you, you know, sometimes – Blake Sims? Uh, yeah, that was Jake. Uh, Jake, Jake Coker. Jake, Jake Coker. Uh, 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 and, and some Jake drives Coker. he made late in the game, mm -hmm. sacrificing his body. You could see the team rally around mm -hmm. him, okay? And sometimes the quarterback makes everybody else better. Mm-hmm. And I just agree with Scott 100%. I think Alabama will find out whether it's Ty or Mil is it Milroy? Milroy. Against Texas. Does Texas still Milroy. have that running back or did he go pro? No, he's getting ready to get some money. He's getting ready to – Robinson's getting ready he to get is, paid. Oh, well, that's good for Alabama. <laughs> he's getting ready to get paid. <laughs> if I was Texas, he'd have got about 350 carries last year. <laughs> and, and, you know, the bad thing when you start looking at Alabama-Texas, we, we talked about – Arch Manning's debut and, you know, only completing three passes for 30 yards or five passes, well, five out of 13, something like that. It's a different stage. And when you're in a spring game and the expectations, whoever is named the starter 
whether it's against Middle Tennessee or whether it's against Massachusetts, it doesn't matter. All eyeballs are going to be on you. You're going to be the focal point. You're going to feel the hairs on your neck and your arms stand up, whether there's 100,000 out there or 80,000. You're definitely going to have to be in command of Alabama and Auburn's offense and show why that as a head coach, whether it Coach Freeze or Coach Saban named you the starter and that it wasn't a quarterback by committee type of deal. This is the guy who we felt is going to be leading us. This is who took fall camp. This is who got the leadership ability or the dedication from the teammates and how quickly you were judged. Sometimes that does depend on your opponent because it can go two ways. You can have a horrible game against a mediocre opponent or you can go ahead and have a superior game against a mediocre opponent and it inflate your confidence a little bit. And then when you go into that next week, you get hit in the mouth and then you really find out what you're made out of. I, I agree. I agree. I think we're both and. You know, I think the difference is at least Alabama feels like they have the quarterback there sure. on, on their roster. Yeah. As we're knowing from Auburn, if if there's the right guy, maybe the quarterback at Oregon State who feels like he didn't get a shot since they took the guy from Clemson, you know. Uh, I, I know that uh, Auburn's looking at, at him and maybe a lineman from out there too. Uh, so, you know, Auburn may feel like that uh, – the quarterback they're going to open the season up with and on the roster yet. Well, I think that's how a lot of people feel. And we'll continue to talk everything Alabama and Auburn from a spring practice perspective on talking spring football here on WNSP 105.5. Tracy Turner joining me in studio. Scott Hunter joining us via the phone here on talking spring football on WNSP 105.5. This is Will Herring, a member of the Auburn family. When I'm in Mobile, I listen to WNSP 105.5. Talking Spring Football continues on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Call in now at 694-1055 or join in the discussion on the WNSP app. Talking spring football here on WNSP 105.5. Tracy Turner joining me in the studio. Scott Hunter on the phone with us. And we were talking during the break about when you have a commitment to Alabama or to Auburn, and then all of a sudden they flip or switch up. And, and how I compare this when I was talking with Tracy about it is TJ Yeldon comes to mind. Uh, everyone thought he was going to Auburn. Then all of a sudden at the last minute, he's an Alabama Crimson Tide signee. Now, Martavius Collins, a former Alabama commit, 2024 class, has now committed to play for the Auburn Tigers. Tracy, you know, when that happens, does that add more pizzazz to the robbery, especially when you have a participant like T.J. Yeldon who was as big of a figure and as big as of a difference maker 
<laughs> as TJ was. Well, we sort of knew more about him because he was like Mr. Football in the state, and, <laughs> and, and he was the focal point of that state championship team over there at Daphne. And it also, it happened signing day. Yes. We are now – well, let's see. We're in April, so, so we got the first <clears throat> signing day in December. December, so we're it's a long time out uh, from signing day. So I think it takes a little of that edge off of it, mm-hmm. and you know, and and then sometimes we know for a fact Auburn wanted TJ, you know, beyond anything. When you're this far out in the cycle, sometimes it might be just that one school doesn't take the offer but they just sort of cool on you a little bit. And you call, you don't ever get a call back. Or, hey, coach, text me, and you don't ever get a text back. And so that romance starts to dwindle a little bit. And so you might get the message, well, they don't really want me. So I'm not saying that happened with sure. this young man, but I'm just saying that it does happen. I mean, kids love to be winding down without question. They love what we like to call in the coaching profession is babysitting. You have to babysit your recruits. And some you babysit more than others. You pay more attention to some than others. And if you don't show that equal love, then sometimes you do lose them. And, Scott, I I think it does add to the intrigue of the Iron Bowl when you do have players that do make a difference in the Iron Bowl that was once committed to Alabama and or Auburn and flipped to the rival school. Well, uh, in Tracy, in our day, my day, in Tracy's day, the two schools battled over probably, I don't know, 15, 20, 15, or 20 players uh, in, in state. Uh, and the winner, Pat Dye, had an edge for a long time. And, of course, Coach Bryant had a long time edge over Coach Jordan, but Coach Jordan recruited well. And then Pat Dye had an edge, and Gene Stallings, when he came in, said, we got to win the state of Alabama back and so forth. But, you know, that, that all has kind of gone away to a degree. There's not that many players that the two schools really compete over anymore. You know, you, 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 you really recruit based on what your needs are. And Alabama, Saban has, has turned Alabama into a coast-to-coast recruiting school. Uh, certainly, he goes after the best players in the state of Alabama and wants to get them. Uh, but he also, you know, will take a, a player out of California over a player in Alabama if the player in California or Maryland or or Ohio or or Missouri is a better player than the player in Alabama, he's going to go after or he's going to sign or offer the player that's out of state over the player that's in state. So that kind of fight over in-state players between Auburn and Alabama, that's kind of a thing in the past. And now it's kind of a new day out there. And I think Hugh Freeze will bring that to Auburn. I think you'll see him starting to – yeah, wide, widen out uh, Auburn's recruiting deep into Florida, you know, up the Atlantic coast. Um, so I think that'll happen. He'll have to, to to bring in the kind of players he'll have to bring in to beat Nick Saban. And, of course, that's what Auburn people want to do. Without question, and I know we have a phone call from Alabama Nature Boy. Alabama Nature Boy, good evening and welcome to Talking Spring Football. Hey, guys, love the show as always. Um, 
Reuben Foster was another high-profile player that flipped from uh, Auburn to Alabama. Um, but uh, the main reason I wanted to call, talking about the starting quarterback, I, I know that the fans are always anxious to find out who's going to be the starting quarterback. But if I was Coach Saban, I would do exactly what you guys were talking about. I would wait to just prior to the Texas game to name a starter. Um, if he names a starter after A-Day Saturday, that other guy's going to pack his bags and get in the transfer portal. <laughs> if, if he waits till the season has started, he stands a chance of hanging on to a really good quality backup. Well, you know, that's a good observation, but what's driving that is nobody won the position yet, so there's no real reason to name a quarterback. And obviously, as I said earlier, without you know somebody like Bryce Young returning where he's just a given, uh, you go into August and you go into the season itself, you know, there's – starting with Middle Tennessee State, and you play both quarterbacks in that game, but you're going to win that game if you stuck me out there at quarterback in my age now. <laughs> uh, so the big deal is going to be the Texas game and who can come in there and operate because, Quinn, I think, what's the Texas quarterback's name? Quinn, Quinn Ewing? Ewers. Um, Ewers. Ewers. Uh, he was doing fantastic out in Austin last season until he got injured in the – uh, first quarter or so, he got hurt early in the second quarter, and I think maybe Texas would have beat us if, if he just stayed, had not gotten hurt. So, obviously, if he's playing and playing well, and Steve Sarkeesian will have a fantastic game plan, if he's playing and playing well, then as Tracy was talking about a while ago, Alabama will have to have the quarterback on the field that's capable of putting 40, 45 points on the board if, if Texas puts 40 on there. Alabama Nature Boy, I hope that answers your question in regards to or your statement about what Nick Saban's thoughts and plans are about going into the spring. But I agree with you in regards to the transfer portal. It's, it's unlike anything we've witnessed to where the moment that you get unhappy, it's kind of like, okay, putting food in the microwave that's coming out of the refrigerator and pulling it out when it's half of the plate is warm and half of the plate is still cold. It's that decision that you can make that the transfer portal allows you to do. And I think that as football continues to change, I think that when you start seeing these, the NCAA change its views as well about how many recruits can take visits, the unlimited number of visits, that's huge to me. To me, that transforms the recruiting battle, Scott, that you're talking about coast to coast. Now I can take my one visit to Alabama, and then the day of signing day, if I want to take another official visit, I can do so outside of the five official that I used to be able to take. To me, that's changed the life of college football as well. And you're right about that, except remember the caveat of that. You can only go to Alabama once officially, and you can only go to Auburn once or Michigan once or Ohio State once. You know, uh, no complaint here, but Arch Manning went to Alabama and Georgia like four or five times to each school and Texas four or five times officially, meaning when it's official, they the pay school for is paying mm -hmm. you know, freight. So that, that, that ended that, the NCAA reg that came down the other day. You can have one visit, which the school 
will pay for and your parents and so forth and that's that after that you know you can go to the school as many times as you want but it's on your dime so consequently i think that that's a good move there I do like that rule, and I think that, you know, you can have up to two in your travel party, but now if I need to cut that off at five, now I can start extending that because it starts April 1st of your junior season. So now you start taking those official visits. You can take up to 25 official visits if you're a four- or five-star prospect and go to visit as many schools as you would like at least once. That will pay for you to come. <laughs> fine, fine, have at it. But however, I don't know that there's logistically if a, a player and his family could. I mean, the confusion of visiting six, seven, eight, or nine, ten schools. Oh my gosh, I don't know how you'd parse what's about each one of them that would help you make a decision. Enjoying the free travel. I think that that's where the fringe benefits of being an athlete come in to where if I'm from California and you give me an opportunity to fly down to Gainesville at least once, and then you're still recruiting me as far as Georgia, and then the next weekend I can go to Georgia. I know there's only so many days in the week and so many calendar days, but if you are that four- or five-star recruit, and that institution that you get a chance to visit once, I, I just I think that you're <laughs> opening Pandora's box in regards to some chaos that's going to continue to insinuate itself from these visits that are being made week after week after week after week after week. And I, I think it's going to heat up the recruiting trail a little bit too, Scott. Well, that's fine. I mean, it, it ought to be heated up. But players, I school players should see as many schools as they want to see. And again, I go back to, I don't know if I could have gone to, I went to six or seven schools um, in the day. I could have gone to four or five more. Mother wouldn't let me go out to UCLA and University of California, even though I wanted to. She, she put a squelch on that. <laughs> she said, that's too far from Pritchard. <laughs> and so, anyway ended that, but, uh, you know, I could have gone to 10, 15 visits, but, you know, after a while, you know, Florida, Alabama, Auburn, I didn't go to Tennessee, Georgia, uh, didn't want to go to LSU, you know, didn't care about Ole Miss and Mississippi State, you know, that, that pretty much, Florida State, and that kind of pretty much was my circle there, and I knew I was going to go to one of those schools, and, and I wasn't going to run off to Michigan or Washington or something of that nature. So I think most kids are kind of in sort of like that. I'm going to have four or five schools I'm going to seriously consider, and that's that. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how it does change once the rule does come into effect for these upcoming juniors and seniors classes. And I just love the fact that, like you said, Scott, great recruiting is great recruiting. Brian Harson is coming into this area, turning up – on Alabama's verbal commits already, Sterling Dixon Jr., uh, Ryan Williams. Excuse, oh, excuse me. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> we and, don't and, even and, say that and, other oh, name excuse, anymore. Oh, that, that, that guy didn't do any recruiting, you know. That guy didn't do any recruiting here in Mobile. Uh, when you turn up the pressure like Hugh Freeze has in regards to going after Alabama verbal commits and doing it the way that you love to see it, uh, I, I know that, Auburn feels that they do have an opportunity to say, look, 
Michael said it earlier. He feels that Auburn going into the Iron Bowl is the favorite because it's going to be at Jordan-Hare Stadium. And that factor alone. Favorite word, but. I mean, you know, I, the prediction says he that. He knows about that burial ground that's up underneath the stadium. He says he gets the bad voodoo. voodoo. Yeah, he, he's talking <laughs> the bad voodoo. Uh, but, but I love that, you know, the fact that you do have an opportunity for this current Hugh Free staff to, to try to flip some well, of these hey, Corey, recruits. Before I have to get out here when we have the next session, I don't know if Alabama has had any players leave mid-practice, mm -hmm. but Auburn is now through, and they've had two more kids enter the transfer portal. Uh, Mumbai, Mumba. Mumba. Emba. Yep. Emba, mm -hmm. big defensive lineman, defensive end, defensive tackle, has entered into the transfer portal. Um and uh, Tavares Dawson entered the transfer portal. And guess who entered the portal today? T.J. Finley. T.J. Finley. And, and that's one of those things to where you kind of saw the writing on the wall that lets you know that Auburn's going back to the transfer portal. Because when you leave, you replace. And that's how this business is the going to work. The interesting thing is how, assuming the right names are there, there's some rumor that they may take two. It's an opportunity there. young. Competition Again, iron sharpens iron, and Hugh Freeze, this group, they know what they're doing from a recruiting standpoint, and they're actively spending. They're actively on social media. They're visibly showing themselves, and I love that. And Yeah, well, and uh, you mentioned that, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, I you're knew fine. I was going to go here. They have actually offered a young man who's in the transfer portal from ULM, University of Louisiana Monroe. We used to know it as Northeast Louisiana. Anthony Campbell is an edge rusher. Anybody that knows about Auburn knows they feel like they are short at that area, and that is in modern-day football as we talk about putting the ball in the air. You need to be able to get after the quarterback and put pressure on him. Anthony is 6'7", 280 pounds, and plays edge. That's what you need. That sounds like two tall Jones. It, it, huge. It sounds like a basketball player in, in a football body to be honest with you, but when you're able to get after these quarterbacks in the SEC, that's what it's all about. And on the other side of this break, we'll be talking more spring football here with Scott Hunter as Tracy Turner has to go and check out some bling bling that's going to be distributed at Sarah Land High School this evening. So again, congratulations to the Sarah Land Spartans. You're listening to Talking Spring Football here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Saran Stacy. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Russell Wilson again, 161 million guaranteed. Josh Allen, 150 million guaranteed. Mahomes behind that at 141.5 million. And to me, that's when I go in. If I'm Patrick Mahomes, the NFL quarterback contracts with the most guaranteed money, maybe Mahomes is backloaded because we mentioned that $500 million mark yeah. for Mahomes. And the number of years that he's going to be getting. Well, you got to weigh it, too, because if you're Mahomes, yes, you feel you're the best quarterback in the league and deserve to be paid like the best quarterback in the league. But at the same time, you want your team to be able to surround you with talent that's going to continue to win. Like, Patrick Mahomes would rather win five, six Super Bowls than 
be able to say he's the highest paid quarterback in the league. Believe me, he'll be okay with fifty million versus fifty five million a year. He'll he'll live. He'll be able to feed his kids. I, I think he'll he'll be okay. <laughs> but that being said, like yeah, look at Russell Wilson and and it seems a little bit ridiculous the fact that Patrick Mahomes makes less money guaranteed than Russell Wilson. But uh, it, but when asking what Lamar is worth, this is you gotta ask you gotta say the same thing. It's like yeah, he's worth more than Russell Wilson, obviously, but that Russell Wilson contract is a disaster for the Broncos and is going to continue to be a disaster, barring something severely changing uh, with Sean, under Sean Payton. But I, I don't know. I mean, Lamar's probably worth the $200 million contract that he allegedly turned down, so, so what are we doing here? Well, also right under Mahomes is Matthew Stafford, $130 million guaranteed, Dak Prescott, 126 million guaranteed and golf Jared golf 110 million guaranteed those are your top 10 guaranteed contracts in the National Football League from a quarterback standpoint and I tell you to me who is the winner in this it's definitely Nicole Lynn who is Jalen Hurts agent and she is the president of football operations at Clutch Sports because she is in a male-dominated sport, and she's come in, and she's been able to take a second-round draft pick, 53rd overall, and make him the highest-paid player in the National Football League from an average annual salary standpoint. Yeah, she's killed it. And she uh, was, what, off an Instagram DM when he graduated? Or not graduated because he graduated from Alabama. But when his college career finished at Oklahoma, she said, you know, have you signed with an agent? And if you haven't, you know, let's let's link up and and figure something out. So kind of just shot a Hail Mary over to Jalen and figured it out. And, yeah, like you said, just got him the highest average annual salary in NFL history. So quite the story there. Quite the story for Jalen. He's a guy who got benched in the national championship game and then became the highest paid player at the same position. I mean, you can't you can't even write that stuff. It's it truly is pretty unbelievable. Uh, He's gotten just so just worlds better as a quarterback, as a player, as a decision maker. Even as a leader, I, I like just the story of Jalen Hurts, what he's been through over the past five years. It, it truly is one of the best stories in sports and just so happy for Jalen Hurts. But according to the Sporting News, the top NFL quarterback contracts in total value, and this is according to the Sporting News. Of course, you have Patrick Mahomes, okay, right at $450 million. The next closest quarterback at number two, is Josh Allen at $258 million Yeah. in total value. And then now Jalen Hurts now at two hundred and fifty-five. So total value means incentive-based clauses. When you hit certain marks, yeah. that's where you're going to go ahead and cash in for the total value of your contract. Because Jalen Hurts, $179 guaranteed, a $255 million overall, five years, with the no trade clause, but that is a huge gap. And it just goes to show how great of a quarterback Patrick Mahomes is because the gap between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes is almost $200 million. I mean, Josh, uh, 
Patrick Mahomes is that much better than jo- than Josh Allen. He's that much better than every other quarterback in football. And again, it's it's over a different period of time, so comparing them is is a little bit odd. But again, I, Patrick Mahomes could go in and say, "I'm worth a billion dollars. Give me a billion dollar contract over ten years." And guess what? He'd be worth it. He is that good. He he truly is that great. And so. I don't know. Like, do you think that? Do you think that there's anyone remotely close to him? No, I don't. I th- I think again, what Jalen Hurts is accomplishing as a second round draft pick and what he's able to get, I absolutely love it. As far as a hey, show me the money and his production has shown what he's worth. But now, if you're sitting there and you're backing up and you're Justin Herbert or you're Joe Burrow. You're sitting there licking your chops, and you're telling your agent, look, I don't care if it's front-loaded and guaranteed money or back-loaded like Mahomes. When you have a franchise quarterback, you have a franchise quarterback. And I think that that is the most important part when you're a franchise quarterback. what, What tripped me out, too, Michael, is when I was looking at the NFL quarterback career earnings leaders on this sporting news list, who do you think's number one for career earnings? For career earnings? Career earnings from the quarterback position. Career earnings. Longevity wise, I guess I would guess Tom Brady first. Brady is is two. He's second at over three hundred and thirty three million. Peyton? Number one Phillip is Rivers. Aaron Rodgers. Oh. Aaron Rodgers is number one at $365 million. Now, you mentioned Phillip Rivers. He does make the top ten he would. on this sporting it's news made, list. Made a lot of money for a long time. $243 million for Phillip Rivers. Comes in at number ten. And you mentioned Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's right there at nine. His brother's in front of him at eight at $252 million. Now, Current quarterback Russell Wilson has still found a way to get in there at 266. And at number five was Drew Brees. Matt Ryan, 320 million career earnings. And I, I think that, again, the scale is going to be broken and changed once you start looking at Mahomes is what he's going to make. Once you look at career earnings, if Jalen Hurts signs a second contract, Joe Burrow, when he signs this contract, he's definitely going to bump Phillip Rivers off. But I think that it's just interesting from when you start talking about from an overall standpoint, from NFL quarterback career earnings leaders, from a money standpoint, that Phillip Rivers is still in the top 10, along with Aaron Rodgers superseding Tom Brady. Now, I think Brady was definitely smart and outside of football, He's probably made as much. His his contract that he's about to sign with Fox to be a broadcaster. Yeah. Is he'll, he'll make more than he made as a player if it, he actually lives question. out that entire contract. And, and I think that that's impressive, too. But Jalen Hurts has earned this money from a second-round pick. And we mentioned the quarterbacks that were in front of him, drafted in front of him to a tongue of Iloa. Nowhere, nowhere close to being worth this type of money yet. Nowhere close. No, of course from, not. E- even from a guarantee standpoint, and, and you're hoping that you know he he finishes career his career in Miami. If he yeah. does, that means that Miami's been 
successful. But I think that when you start talking about longevity of Patrick Mahomes and his contract, Patrick Mahomes is a winner in regards to what he signed. But I still would have had to have that clause, and I would have asked my agent to even on the back end of it to where I'm not guaranteed that's going to have to up my guarantee money if I'm Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and again, like, you got to weigh the fact of you want to be able to be surrounded by a really good team and a good defense that doesn't bleed 40 points a game. And you 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 don't want to hamper your team financially just because of your ego. It's like, oh, Jalen Hurts got that. I need this. So I do under – like, Mahomes knows how great he is, and everyone else knows how great he is. So, again, he's fine financially, so wouldn't you uh, – look at Tom Brady for 20 years. He took pay cut after pay cut to help the Patriots build a solid roster around him. It's a big part of the reason why the Patriots were so great for 20 years straight. Uh, so Mahomes, he doesn't feel like the kind of guy that's going to be go in and demand a higher contract just because everyone – else got paid more than he is I, I think he'll he'll see the bigger picture there I hope I hope he does because if he doesn't well it's gonna put the Chiefs in a tough spot so we'll see what happens there but it certainly will be an interesting thing to monitor I, I think he definitely will I think he will in regards to knowing because that's what Tom Brady did he took pay cuts so he could go ahead and have a supporting cast behind him and pay those other guys a little bit more to take the pay cuts in, on that roster and, and to me to be a Super Bowl contender and winner you're, you're absolutely right in regards to where Mahomes mind may be but again get it while you can get it and by all means Jalen Hurts absolutely said show me the money today Nicole Lynn was able to work things out for him as his agent and that's why she's the president of football operations at Clutch Sports and why you see here her here on the sidelines at the Reese's Senior Bowl each and every year as well to find athletes like Jalen Hurts so she can get them paid to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Julian Zeus McClurkin with the world famous. Hi, this is Jake Peavy, MOB pitcher and Mobile, Alabama native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Talking Spring Football continues on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Call in now at 694-1055 or join in the discussion on the WNSP app. Talking Spring Football here on WNSP. Have about two and a half minutes left before we're going to call it a day. And Scott Hunter on the other line with us. Scott, when Jalen Hurts leaves Alabama, the way he did so graciously and with such class. Can you think of another quarterback more deserving of a $255 million contract? And if he doesn't leave Alabama to go to Oklahoma, do you think he's even looking at those kind of numbers? Well, in 2017 at Auburn, he, he just couldn't read the coverage. And Kevin, as we talked about earlier, the Auburn defense just worked him over. And I, I never thought he'd be what he is today. But to his credit, uh, he went to you know, transfer to Oklahoma, and Lincoln Riley got him in the in the video room and started teaching him about reading coverages and all the things you have to start be doing as a to be an NFL quarterback. And it clicked with him. 
And somehow he just went out and, and uh, like Cinderella, he morphed overnight into a, <laughs> uh, a NFL prospect. So he got drafted by in the second round by the Eagles, and lo and behold, he leads them to the Super Bowl this year and had a, you know, a, a terrific game in the Super Bowl. Short of one fumble, they're going to win that game. So, but you got to remember the way the NFL thinks. Uh, there's 32 starting quarterbacks. About 100 total quarterbacks in the NFL. There's 32 starters. All those starters, and you could name them, there's maybe 6 to 10 that could take you to the Super Bowl and give you an opportunity to win. And that's what the Eagles have determined. Here's a guy that's in that 10 or so that has a chance to take us to the Super Bowl and win the game. So when the general manager goes to the owner and says to the owner, owner, we need to give this guy as much as we can give him to lock him down for five years because he's the one that can carry us to the Super Bowl. So that's what Jalen has, has fell into, and, and great for him. Without question, Scott, and I tell you, I, I think that that's a great success story about not giving up, continuing to pursue and not burn bridges with anyone and just doing everything in a first-class manner. I can't think of a more deserving quarterback to be the highest-paid NFL player of all time. And, Scott, when we come back here to Talking Spring Football next week, the public will have had an opportunity to see Alabama on ESPN Plus and the 8A game. Do you think there'll be any surprises or will just the storyline when you sit with us next week be the talk of how many completed passes or how many touchdowns that the quarterbacks threw for? Well, the media will make hay with this, that, and the other. But remember, we saw what Alabama is more like last Saturday. Next Saturday will be the vanilla Alabama Nick is not going to show the world a whole lot next Saturday. I agree with you there, Scott. Looking forward to joining you again next Tuesday for Talking Spring Football here on WNSP 105.5. Can't thank Scott and Tracy enough. Chad Reuter joined us at 3.30, 4 o'clock. Mike Reese and Chris Gordy, all our guests. You can check us out on WNSP Now and all our fine podcasts that are available there. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.